0: Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us again for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. Uh, this week, I have Lyle Southwell on. He's a conference evangelist and Faith FM radio host. Thank you so much for joining me, Lyle. I appreciate it so much.
1: Hi, hey, it's great to be here, Matt, with uh, All Things Evangelism. been a while since I've been on uh, this podcast, so super keen to jump back into it. It's been a bit, and uh, the reason why I wanted you to be a part of this conversation today, Lyle, was because
0: you are both married and... You're an evangelist, and so today's uh, episode is on marriage and evangelism and the consequence of, uh, of marriage on our evangelistic mission, and you've got a successful marriage. Praise God. I have a wonderful wife. Yes, from what I can gather, you guys are happy. Yes. Yes. Okay, so not a lot of people would see the correlation between evangelism
1: or outreach ministry and marriage but I I see one. Do you? Yeah, no, I think there is a massive correlation between the two here and I think that your evangelism can either be drastically increased or dramatically destroyed, your soul-winning ability, by who you choose to marry. So we're all called to be
0: witnesses. According to scripture, we are all evangelists, not in the shiny haired, I stand up in front of a big crowd and preach to people sense, but evangelist in the, I'm a disciple of Jesus and I'm I'm called by Jesus to make disciples. So we're all evangelists in that sense. And so my personal ministry can be assisted or
1: hindered based upon my marriage. And we need to remember that our first evangelistic work, our first priority for evangelism, our first responsibility for evangelism is our home. It's our family. It's, it's our spouse and our children. That's our first. That's where evangelism starts. Yep. We have often spent so much time and energy looking around the world, going, you know, as missionaries to foreign lands, standing up in front of big crowds and speaking to thousands of people, whatever it might be. And we look up to people who do that and we tell their stories and we write their books. What we don't do is write the books and write the stories of somebody who won their family and won their children to the Lord. Yes. We actually accomplished, because, sorry for butting in, but so often you've got these big-time evangelists, and they've lost their family. And that's a tragedy. It's a massive tragedy. They've won thousands of people, but they never won their own children.
0: I know a person who's a very well-known and successful Seventh-day Adventist evangelist and preacher and personality, and he he was uh, just having a discussion with my wife one day and explained to my wife that he had chosen to live a life he prioritized his family. And my wife was just a bit concerned because she didn't see him taking on as much as she wanted to see him taking on. We we're personal friends with this individual, and uh, and we contributed personally to, that, to the ministry of this individual. And my wife had heard this person preach. Anyways, I'm not going to get into the details, but she was just saying, hey, listen, explain to me why these other evangelists or big shot Adventist preachers, they do this and such and this and such. And I see you spending a lot of time with your family. And then he explained to her, listen, I am not going to go to heaven and not have my sons there. Yes. And I'm not neglecting my responsibility to God by investing in my own children. Yes. And I thought that was, and now as a dad, I wasn't a dad at the time. Now as a dad, I see that I have to make personal concessions for the sake of my kids and for the sake of my wife. And I can't be as great as I otherwise would be if I didn't have my wife and my kids. But greatness in God's eyes is not just being a superstar evangelist. It's being loved by your kids and and loving your kids truly and,
1: and sacrificing for them as much as you sacrifice for others. Absolutely. And this I think this is where marriage really plays such a role because who you choose to marry is going to affect the influence that you have on your children because if you think about it if you have a disunited influence on your children from the person that you choose to marry then that's going to make it infinitely harder to see those people saved to the kingdom of god that's right what a tragedy would be hey you find yourself in the
0: kingdom of heaven like in first corinthians 3 it, it makes it clear that there are people who will be in heaven themselves but who who will see in heaven that the results of their work on earth was nothing it talks about like some people's work is like silver and gold, and other people's work is like dross and wood, and it'll be burned up. And so how tragic it would be if you were in heaven, and then your kids weren't. Like, that'd be uns- Or your wife wasn't.
1: That's right. Ugh.
0: So getting to a little bit of a different part of this topic, I want to fulfill God's purpose in my life. I want to be a great soul-winning minister. I want to see people saved through my life, Lyle, what kind of wife do I need
1: Okay, so this or husband
0: the, do I yeah. need? Well, I don't need a husband actually, but yeah, if I were a woman, I'd say that.
1: Okay, so this is where the Bible presents a tremendous variety, and that's the model that we have. We have every different model that there is for people getting together and the people that they get together with. There is one thing that is consistent all the way through. I'm going to come to that in just a moment, but... The Bible doesn't give you a formula for either how you get together or who you get together with. God has created us with a brain, and this is like one of the most amazing things ever. And so often as human beings, we like to switch the brain off. We're like, just give me a tick box, and if I can tick tick all these boxes, fill out a survey, and then I will meet the one... Which is a Hollywood concept, not a biblical concept. But I'll meet the one and then we'll be, we'll live happily ever after. And so you've got so much variety in the Bible. You've got, you think of how people get together, for instance, you've got Isaac and Rebecca, which was an arranged marriage and blessed by God. You've got Ruth and Boaz, which was a marriage of where there's a very wide age gap. She was a young girl, a damsel, the Bible says in the in the old King James Version. And he's an old dude. You've got. And, and blessed by God, you've got, let me think, Hosea and Goma. That's a pretty wild story. You've got uh, Moses and Zipporah, which was a, a cross... She was Ethiopian girl, so a cross-racial marriage. You've got all of these different kinds of variety, but the one thing that they have in common is that God is behind it and God is directing it and... Uh, the successful marriages are the ones where they are both worshippers of God. And so you've you've basically what the Bible is telling you, there's no set way I want you to use the brain that I've given you and enjoy going out there and finding somebody and building and creating a relationship with them so long as I am at the center of it. No, that's cool. I really appreciate that. I, I do I did a
0: relationships talk this weekend for the university church here in Newcastle. And one of the things I said to them is, look, I'm going to advocate for certain ideals. As you pursue a relationship, I'm going to share with you some ideals that you should strive for in a relationship and in a partner. But I'm not trying to constrain you or confine you to these ideals, right? Because there's lots of different ways relationships develop and begin. And uh, yeah, I don't want to yeah indict anyone else's relationship or even, yeah, make you feel like if it doesn't happen like this, then God can't be behind it. And I can't have a great relationship and a fruitful marriage. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, the, uh, and this is what I see coming through. I think the important thing here is that with all of the successful relationships, they are relationships where both the husband and the wife love God and serve God. Those are your successful ones. Not all of the relationships that I mentioned were successful. And the unsuccessful ones are ones where they didn't have that unity in service to God.
0: No, that's good. I appreciate that. So th- there's something that the Bible says in, th- this is in regards to elders. It's in First Timothy chapter 3. And it seems to indicate that, that your fitness for leading in the church is directly related to the condition of your marriage. Yes. That's an interesting, that's a challenging... I don't know if anyone out there who's listening is familiar with 1 Timothy 3. It gives the characteristics of an elder. just gives the kind of character description of an elder, what they must be. It says the husband of one wife, ruling their own home well, respected in their local community, apt to teach, experienced. And so you get various characteristics, and these characteristics seem to indicate very clearly that... That your relationship with your spouse has a lot to do with whether or not God you're your going to qualifications be for quali- being a leader in the church. That's right, mm-hmm. and uh, to me that's interesting. And there's another statement in the either first or second Peter. This has just come to my mind, but in, in first or second Peter, where it talks about your prayers being hindered when you're not loving your wife the way that you're supposed to. And so there's another correlation between your marriage and your relationship with your spouse and god's blessing on your ministry and so it it seems to indicate those two passages when you combine them together it seems to indicate that if you want to be successful in your mission in your ministry you first need to be successful in your marriage because there's a direct corollary between the two and so like the very same qualities necessary for a good marriage are necessary for success in evangelism so if i'm not succeeding in my own home then that's because
1: I'm not applying the same the principles necessary for success and soul winning. It's interesting. I remember as a young person growing up in, in a country church where we had one of our elders was like the nicest man on the planet. And this guy was a godly man. He was somebody who would lead out in, in, in worship, preach great sermons, all that kind of stuff, and loved his wife, had a fantastic relationship with his wife. And they still live down there, and they're still really godly people. And they had a number of children, and as those children hit their teen years, they went wild and rebelled and did, you know, the, the whole teen thing. And he resigned his position as elder as an elder in the church. He said the qualifications for an elder is somebody that who rules their own household. It's not happening in my family, so I'm resigning my position. And he did resign his position until his children grew up, they became older, and once they were adults and making accountable for their own decisions, then he took that role back up again. But for that whole period, and it was a massive example to me of somebody who was prepared to follow the Bible. And sometimes I think we are quick to turn around and blame parents, like, oh, what were they doing wrong? And we forget that God in heaven. So we live here on this earth, and this earth is a messed up place. It is a world of sin, and that throws all kinds of curveballs that we can never, ever account for. But we forget that you've got God who is in heaven before sin exists, In a perfect universe, he lost one of his. He lost Lucifer. And sometimes I think that we need to be, we feel the need to be more powerful than God when it comes to raising our children. We have no guarantee as to the decisions that our children will make because they are individuals. And and yeah, that was, but for me, that was a an example of somebody who took the Bible seriously in that particular uh, circumstance and as a result of that and that's what that's what he chose to do like my own family my my household is a mess right now my my kids are running around and they they're doing this and doing that and doing the other and so I can't be an elder in this church so there's a practical part
0: to to that counsel of paul in 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 1 Timothy 3 so if my family is not in the condition that it should be in then should i be exhausting myself being an elder over the church like why not take the time necessary to fix my family before I take on church responsibilities. So, I think it's it's an issue of priorities and Paul realizes that your number one priority, as you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, is, is your family. family. And so, in order to prioritize your family, he's basically saying, look, if you can't rule your own home, you shouldn't be ruling in the church. That's not just you're not good enough. Because your, your family's a mess, and so you're not no, good because, enough. Because this no, this, this person that I knew was yeah.
1: very much a good, a, a fantastic leader in the church. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's right. And sometimes we see that Paul is just being like, maybe arbitrary. Here's a standard. And if you're good enough to meet this standard, you're good enough to rule in the church. No one's good enough to have authority <laughs> on a spiritual level. None of us are, because we're all fallen and sinful. But I think what he's saying is your first priority is your home and your family. And therefore, if your family's fallen apart, man, fix it. Get to work with your children and with your wife and get your house in order. And then now you're prepared to get out into the church and serve the church and bless the church and be a successful missionary evangelist. And yeah, I think there's a lot more like practical sense in what Paul is counseling than we normally think. And yeah, I'm working for the church in the conference. And if my wife is falling apart and uh, then I need to make that make her health, her emotional health, her spiritual health, her mental health, her physical health, my first priority, and put my job and my ministry in the backseat. As you would do with any job. That's right. Yes. That's it. Bro, okay, so in Ephesians chapter 5, you've got the probably the most famous passage about marriage, period, I would say, at least in the New Testament. And maybe it's up there, right, because you've got like Ephesians 5, and then you've also got Jesus' statement, and for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father. He's quoting yes. Genesis. That's really famous. But I would say Ephesians 5 is probably the most famous counsel to husbands and to wives. And Is there any like wisdom
1: there for us in relationship to evangelism and mission? Hi, uh, hey, where do you want me to start? Wherever you are. I'm just turning to Ephesians chapter 5 and having a a, a quick uh, scan through the passages here. And there's this great passage here, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I think that husbands often, when you look at that particular passage, they're actually like, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to love our No, you're supposed to love your wife in the way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. That's an incredibly high calling. That means that you love your wife to the point that you would hesitatingly give your life for her. This passage—it's it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy calling, and it's a, and it's a key to the success of it. The, the Apostle Paul—it's funny for me because I, I want to pull him
0: aside, take him into a room, and say, "Dude, you were—you weren't married when you said this. <laughs> What's wrong with you? This is nice for you to talk about. It. It's like when—it's like when I was a preacher traveling around America." And like harping on about raising kids when I didn't have any. We were all
1: experts back oh, then, Oh boy, we? oh
0: boy, yeah, we for sure. We knew so much about that child to right? tell all those parents how they should raise their kids. And well, so the Apostle Paul, when he says this, man, it just gets
1: me. It's one of those okay, verses the difference between Paul and, Paul and I is this. He's saying this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Of course, of course I'm not <laughs> I'm not resisting the truthfulness
0: of what he's saying. I'm just um I just want to smack him for it. But, but on all seriousness, this is a verse that haunts me as a husband in a good way. Like it's a haunting verse that follows you around. Adam loved his wife. Yes. The first Adam loved his wife. But in what way? So he in a way made Eve his idol in the sense that he like Followed her into sin because he That's couldn't right. live without her.
1: Yes. So he made her a God. He loved her know? more than God.
0: Yes, he loved her more than God. And he didn't lay himself down for her. He gave himself up with her. Yes. So it was like he severs his connection with God and then he decides, well, I'm not going to live if I can't have her because then he loves the gift more than the giver. And then, it, but Jesus, he loves the church, his bride, but he sacrifices himself for her. Like, Basically saying he's her intercessor. He sacrifices himself on her behalf in righteousness. And so, yeah, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And this is in contrast to Adam. Yeah, who then... Who loves her Exactly. Adam. So he's going to give up his, his, his eternal life for her because he deifies her. Mm-hmm. And then after doing that, he throws <laughs> her under the bus. Like, I'll worship you as a God
1: and then I'll trash you. Yes. Like rubbish. It shows just how quickly once sin entered the human heart, how it completely changed the nature. Totally. Within moments of it entering the human heart, the nature was changed. That's
0: it. So I guess a practical lesson for evangelism that I find in Ephesians 5. So you love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In order to win souls, you have to give your life for people. So you get to practice in your home, giving your life for your wife. If you're a man... And, and also women give their lives for their husbands. And this helps us be better soul winners. Absolutely. Because we're, if we're training ourselves to be unselfishly sacrificial to our spouses, it's going to make it easier to be unselfishly sacrificial for others. Exactly. Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and
1: dies, it remains alone. Now, of course, there's another passage in Ephesians chapter 5, Matt, which I'd love to hear your thoughts on, where the Bible says, wives... Submit. I know you're
0: such a cheeky <laughs> boy. I know you love me. That's Australian love right there. Put me on the spot. So so you want to read the passage that you want me to comment on? I just on? read it. No, but just... It's, it's Ephesians chapter read the, 5 and, the whole verse,
1: and verse 22. It says, wives, submit. Okay, but <laughs> read the rest of it. All right, all right, all right. You, you want some context. Just, just a little bit. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of of the church and he is the savior of the body therefore as the church is subject unto christ let wives be subject unto the husbands in everything and then of course it goes on and says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself for it
0: okay yeah for sure so in the context of the home paul is teaching that we get the privilege of modeling the gospel narrative the gospel story so jesus gives up his life for the sake of his wife and we husbands get to model that in the marriage relationship and Jesus submitted himself to the Father, and that saved the world. So submission saves the world. And when Jesus submitted to the Father, he was submitting to the righteous love of God for the sake of humanity. And so all the, the basic teaching here, and I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty, there's tons that can be said, but basically the home is to replicate the gospel. Yes. That's what he's saying. And so when the Bible says, wives submit to your husbands, it's not saying your husband is the dictator of your life. Not at and all. that you're to be not the mindless all. slave who does whatever he wishes at um, any moment. It's just simply saying, hey, when my ah, <laughs> wife is one of the freest wives I know, like I'm basically a libertarian in my home, but I affirm the biblical model that I am to, I'm called by God to be the head of my home, but not in the sense that traditionally some people have seen that to, to, to be. Yes. But I get to take responsibility for the well-being of my home, to be the protector, both emotionally and physically, of my family. And that's a noble responsibility. It's not like a privilege in that I'm raised above. I just have a position of service that is unique to me. And my wife has a position of service that's unique to her. And we love that and we appreciate it because it gives us the chance to develop our characters and be more like Jesus and to model the gospel in our homes. And so the basic point is... Model the gospel in your home. Submission save the world. sacrificial service save the world. Husbands, love your wives. Women, respect your husbands. And I've always noted when I consider Ephesians 5, and this is a conversation on marriage and evangelism, not so much marriage, but it's good that we're talking about this because it, it applies to evangelism. Because women who can't accept Ephesians 5 and men who can't accept Ephesians 5 are not going to be good soul winners because they don't have the love, the heart, the humility to do what it takes to win people. And when you don't have harmony
1: in the home, it completely, it, it just tears apart your ability to be able to minister.
0: Well, that's right. So it's always occurred to me that God would not say specifically to males, husbands, love your wives. And he would not say specifically to women, women, respect your husbands if it was natural for women to respect their husbands and for men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so my friend Ty, he always says, he feels a bit uncomfortable with making too much of of the idea of women respecting husbands and husbands loving women because he says that love involves respect and respect involves love. And so he just likes to think of it all as one big package. But I I don't, the text says what the text says. It does. So I'm not afraid of the text because God is good and God is love, and whatever he says is ultimately the best. Yes. And there is no oppression in it. Somebody may read that into the text, but whatever, that's their problem, not the Bible's problem. So for me, I I feel like, no, God is just being very practical. He understands that men don't naturally love women the way they should, and women don't naturally respect men the way they should. And so he's addressing our natural flaws and faults and saying, women, here's an area that you could improve in. Uh Men here's an area you can improve in. You don't just say, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, if that's what they do. Exactly.
1: Hey, Matt, we've got a little bit of time left, and I want to address a very important passage of the Bible in relationship to our witness and our ability to evangelize, and that is the passage that says, don't be unequally yoked. I want I want us to maybe spend a little bit of time talking about what it means to be unequally yoked and also look at how that actually affects our soul-willing abilities. And I thought I might start it by sharing a story. So this was a story that happened to a friend of mine. I've heard it third-hand. I might get some of the details wrong, but I think you'll get the point. Two Christian people, both of them deeply in love with the Lord, and they get together and they decide that they want to get married and a lot of people counsel them not to because while they're both Christian and they both have a very strong relationship with God they're from different denominations but they talk it through they communicate as you do and they came to the conclusion we can make this work and one of them was Seventh-day Adventist anyway that the time comes like 10 years down the track they have children and that's what usually comes after marriage at some particular point and that was wonderful of course the husband wanted to have Have the child christened, and that was a bit of a cringe moment for the wife, but she swallowed it. And then a little bit further on down the track, I think maybe what 12 years down the track or whatever it is, her husband wanted to have the child go through confirmation in the Roman Catholic Church. Now, for the Adventist mother, she saw that as being a salvational issue because confirmation was joining, becoming a member of the Roman Catholic Church, which she identifies as the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. For the father, for the husband, that was a salvational issue because without that, because that's where the salvation comes from is through the sacraments and without that sacrament, his daughter is lost eternally and goes to eternal hellfire. And so the mother, in incredibly distraught, comes to my friend for counsel and says, you have to tell my husband that he can't do this because my child is going to be lost. And of course he had to turn around and say, this, your daughter is his daughter as well and he has every right to raise that girl according to the dictates of his conscience and what he believes is right to bring salvation to his daughter, as do you. Now think of the struggle, think of the conflict where you've got two people that love each other, they love the Lord, they serve the Lord, and suddenly their family is being torn apart because they want to see their children saved for eternity. This is one of those issues where people come to me and this verse comes up, don't be unequally yoked, and they're going out with somebody, they're in a relationship with somebody who is a non-believer or is a believer of a different faith. And on this one, I'm just very black and white. And the reason that I'm black and white is because I've seen this so many times. I've seen the absolute level of pain that is created when a couple get together who are on different wavelengths spiritually, and Paul says, the Bible says don't, Paul says don't, God says don't, I say don't and I say that if you are in that kind of a relationship you have this marvelous device, it's called the telephone. Use it right now because every moment that goes, that relationship continues longer, the harder it will get to pick up that phone and to break up the relationship. Do it and do it now before you get any further into it and certainly do it before you make any kind of commitment that involves marriage.
0: You're killing me, Lyle, because you just opened a gigantic can of worms and we're out of time. I'm not exactly out of time. We've got a few more minutes. Yeah. But mate, I just want to talk a lot about this subject, but we don't have a lot of time. But it's funny. I will say that if you get two to two ox together and you yoke them with a wooden yoke that binds them together so they can use their combined strength to pull the plow. Yes. If one is stronger than the other, then what's gonna to tend to happen is that they're not gonna be able to plow straight. One is a donkey and one is an ox. That's right. It's just not gonna work. It's not gonna work out. They're gonna plow in circles. It's not proportional proportionate strength. And so they're gonna plow in circles, the field's gonna be wrecked, and it's just not gonna work out. And so that's the metaphor that Paul
1: uses. And I have seen so many people, their lives destroyed, their witness destroyed by being unequally yoked. I've heard someone say before, a hey,
0: If you want a mission project, go on a mission trip. But you don't need a mission project for a spouse. Yes. You need a spouse who to some degree, to some extent, on a fundamental level, is in harmony with you, with the spirit of your life, with the belief system that you adhere to. Similar philosophies, similar viewpoints on the fundamental issues. And if you don't have that, you don't have union, you don't have harmony. And the two are supposed to become one physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And if you're just on different planets, how can you create a home where there's harmony and peace and synergy? It's just very difficult. And so yeah, that's really important. And okay, so I appreciate you saying this and you've just come with it strong. And I appreciate the strong stance on this because taking a strong stance on this is not being unloving. It's actually being very loving because you see the damage and the difficulty that arises when people haphazardly enter into a marriage and they allow their passion, to override their reason, and, and they're not thinking clearly. Do you want to say maybe a word or two and close? Do you have anything else I want to share on this? Because
1: we can go for another half hour because of the can of worms you, you opened. But we this was the can of worms that when we're talking about marriage and evangelism, we cannot avoid this one. Yes. And I guess the only thing that I would add to it is that the temptation of flirt to convert, which is like the worst idea ever because then you get the most insincere conversions and you just set yourself up for pain. If somebody's going to be converted, let that take place between them and God and stand far back. And once that has happened, and if you are interested in that person, then go and pursue. Yes. And when I say can of worms, I shouldn't say that what you've said
0: is not biblical or good or true. It's just that a lot of questions can arise, and I'd love to share more the reasons behind it. You know what I mean? The text says what it says. It's clear. We can accept it. But there's a lot of good reasons behind it, a lot that could be said about it. But we don't have the time to do that now, but we'll have to have you back again to talk more about marriage and evangelism. And uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope that you've been as blessed as we have been to discuss this topic of marriage and how it relates to evangelism. We know we've not been comprehensive. There's a million things that could be talked about. We want to get you thinking. And we want to inspire you to be committed to your home, committed to your kids, committed to your wives, committed to your husbands, to love them truly and genuinely and to serve them and try to do your best to be a blessing to them, to get them into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, this will better prepare us to be the church we need to be to reach the world with the gospel. God bless you guys and thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week on All Things Evangelism.